All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous opportunity to gather together as family in the unity of the faith, Father, a faith that you've given each of us by grace. Thank you for recognizing the humble among us. Thank you for recognizing Bill Johnson in the midst of us, and thank you for giving us his example all these years. We're so very grateful that you've taken him home to be with you. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. We pray for Lois and the family as well, and the church family here as we mourn Bill. But may we rejoice before too long, and even now, knowing that he's with you and that each one of us have something so great to look forward to that we cling to a living hope, Father, that you've given us. Thank you for making a day like this, a simple day otherwise, so notable in your grace. Father, thank you for your love as well, a love that hung on a cross for which we are most grateful and thankful, of course, as work through your Son. We just ask for blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, with that said, it's time to man up. And if you haven't guessed, men, this really is, or this message has you primarily, but not just the men, but it primarily has you between its crosshairs. And personally, I love it. Absolutely adore messages like this because they're not taught enough. And the contents aren't shared enough or lived enough among Christian ranks. So let's begin this morning with a familiar passage. Go to Job 38.1. Job 38, verse 1. Job 38.1 Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And here it comes. Verse 3. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Huh. That's not really a conversation you want the Lord to have with you. I'm, I'm shooting for a well-done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> right? Gird up your loins like a man? I don't know. <laughs> but that's what he's saying to us this morning in so many ways. Gird up your loins like a man. Remember, for the sake of context, this was said to Job, the same man that the Lord God had initially proffered up to Satan as a witness to his grace. So this whole idea, this whole 
exchange between Satan and Job and Job's friends was God's idea. This was the same man who, if were a member of our congregation, would undoubtedly be the most blameless and upright of all. For those are the exact words of the Lord himself that he uses to describe Job. In fact, the Lord continues to say that there's none like him in all the land. This is a special guy in the strict sense of the word. I doubt very much that anyone here qualifies for that kind of description. And yet, at the end of this book, after his namesake, Job is getting his rear end handed to him on a platter. Go to Job 40, verse 1. Job 40, verse 1. But what I like about Job is he took it as well. Unlike a lot of men, or males I should say, who get disciplined and they turn into women and run away with their tail between their legs complaining about being disciplined. Job didn't do that. He took it on the chin like a man. Job 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer. Even twice and I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Again, now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me, will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Hmm. So think about it. If that's a conversation between a loving father and his incredibly faithful son, what might the conversation be like between you and the Lord our God? If that was, excuse me, Job, who was incredibly faithful, no one was like, no one was like him. What about you? What would your conversation be like? How would you have held up? <clears throat> May I venture to say that a message like Thursday's is still, and Thursday was a tough message, I believe, for a lot of people, excuse me. <clears throat> Even a tough message like Thursday is still nowhere near the force you deserve to receive from the Lord. Is that fair? I think it's fair. One more passage, excuse me. <clears throat> Arguably the most pertinent passage for us right now, given the nature of Thursday's message and its focus on men being leaders over their own families. Go to Jeremiah 1.15.
Hey, Scott, can you do me a favor? Make me a cup of tea, please. I asked Scott because he's, he drinks tea all the time. Jeremiah 1.15. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Now gird up your loins and arise. And he's speaking to Jeremiah the prophet. And he, you see, Jeremiah is really just getting prepared. So girding up your loins is not just about getting your rear end handed to you. It's about being a man. It's about pre being prepared for things to come, for things yet to come, knowing that they're going to be difficult, knowing that certain conflicts are going to arise when you stand up for the Lord. That's what he was saying. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before them. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks. I appreciate it. <clears throat> what does he say? Do not be dismayed before them. In other words, don't let them run you over. You're the man I chose. You're the man for the job. And if you wimp out and you fail me, I will dismay you. In other words, I'm holding your nose to the grindstone here. I'm holding you responsible. In other words, do not waver in your convictions or else. Same goes for any man hearing this message today. Job, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah 1.18. Let's continue. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. I have made you this man, and I chose you, he's saying. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And feel free to apply that to your own lives, men. God has made you, and women, and your own responsibilities. God has made you. He doesn't fail. People are going to fight against you. But they're not going to overcome you because He's with you. That last line is for every messenger sent on behalf of the Lord to His chosen people. In our case right now, that's me, the under-shepherd. In other words, I can't be a coward. I can't not teach this kind of a message. I have to teach this kind of a message. And it gives me great comfort knowing that as long as I do as I'm instructed, I'm delivered. But when you all go home today, that is instruction for you. Paul wrote about this same thing years later, specifically targeting families. 
knowing that the family structure is constantly under attack. Constantly. And I was reflecting on this. Our families are meant to be founded on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Our families are supposed to be founded on the rock. <clears throat> so, if we imagine our families as buildings, we might first look at our foundations. If our families, our family structure, our buildings, then we have to look at the foundation first to see if there are any cracks. Cracks in the foundation. A family that is divided over Christ has cracks in its foundation. It cannot bear the same load as a corporation, especially if said cracks exist between husband and wife. Again, a family that is divided over Christ has cracks in its foundation. It cannot bear the same load as a corporation, especially if said cracks <clears throat> exist between the husband and wife. And we'll get to Ephesians 5, 15 to 24 in a moment. Knowing this, what part of the family structure do you think the kingdom of darkness focuses its attacks on? While a worldly person might argue that it's something fleeting like finances, or maybe even infidelity to some degree, the truth is much more basic than that. It's Christ himself. His word, his mind, his commands, etc. There's a reason why the Bible lays out Israel as the bride of the Lord God and the church as the bride of Christ. And then furthermore, reveals to us that a godly marriage is, is meant to reflect said relationship with the bride respecting and submitting to her husband. There's a reason why all that's tied together. Up here on the board, exploiting cracks. The only way that the kingdom of darkness can ever destroy a marriage or a family is to sever one or more of the parties from Christ. That's the only way. Evil is always looking for cracks in the foundation to exploit, to expand, to weaken the entire structure above. It's the only way is to separate one or more of those parties in the household from Christ. Who is our strength? Christ. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Who is our strength? Who is our source of strength? He is. How do we fortify? How do we build up? We take in the Word of God. We allow the Master Builder, God the Holy Spirit, to put everything in its right place, beginning with the foundation. So let's look at a reference, that reference passage from our previous point now. Go to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. Hey, this is pretty good tea, Scott. All right. Amen. 
Ephesians 5.15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Remember, we are His bride. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, He Himself being the Savior of the body. Now, single women, uh, if you can't submit to your husband or a, another human being, don't get married. Don't get married. Just stay single like Paul was. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now we're going to get to that because I think men, uh, in their weakness, in their own flesh, like to take that word everything and just like paste it everywhere and like paint it all over the walls in the house and, you know, everything. And they got a big thumb, it's like this big, and they're like, you know. That's, that's not love. That's not love at all. Up here on the board. Cracks in the foundation. A family that is divided over Christ has cracks in its foundation. It cannot bear the same load as a corporation, especially if said cracks exist between the husband and wife. And then the second point, of course, was exploiting cracks. The only way that the kingdom of darkness can ever destroy a marriage or family is to sever one or more of the parties from Christ. Evil is always looking for cracks in the foundation to exploit, to expand, to weaken the entire structure above. And when I talk about severing uh, a party from Christ with a believer in view, I'm not talking about losing salvation or anything like that. That's impossible if you're already saved. I'm talking about people running away from the truth, not taking their responsibilities um, personally. In other words, ignoring the very commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Spirit's saying something very profound here, my friends, so listen up. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to Thursday's message, it was titled, The First Crack in Any Structure. Um, as your shepherd, I'm asking you to do so. And ask is a kind word. The Spirit's really telling you. If you didn't get Thursday's message, then listen to it. And just, to do, and just in all fairness, as your shepherd, I don't mind saying this, do yourselves a favor, knowing you have an advantage over those heard it firsthand. Gird your loins. Because Thursday was pretty direct as well. Here's the highlight reel from that message. We began that message this way with a very poignant question. Relationship issues? Anyone? Anyone having problems in the family? Extended family? 
Um, the truth about fractures in your families or with your friends or with loved ones is nothing more than the offensiveness of Christ as he becomes increasingly evidenced in you to those offended. That is the problem. If you stand up for Christ, even other Christians are going to have a problem with you. Because you're going to begin to notice a chasm between you and those that are sort of stagnating. And what does any drowning person do? They try to grab you and drown you and take you down with them. Don't let them. It's that simple. Up here on the board. Galatians 6, 9-10. So, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. The point that launched our lesson on Thursday was, the Spirit is exhorting us in the midst of a perverse generation to tend to our families, starting with men. And I would yell it if I could, but in my notes it's all capitals with three exclamation points. So can you please imagine I just screamed men? Starting with who? Somebody else is going to scream it. Starting with? Men. Thank you. All right. Why is Monica the loudest one? <laughs> I'm going to let you figure that out. <laughs> and from personal experience, no offense to my own family, we all have fleshes. When you man up biblically, you will suffer. You will. Why? Because those around you have fleshes, just like you. It's not going to be met with uh, dimples and daisies, in other words, when you man up, especially in a situation that you've been lax in for a while. It's really hard to, to reel people in sometimes. I was reflecting on that, and I was thinking about the Bible. Whoever says that you will enjoy this process? Where does it say that in the Bible? Where does it ever say that you're going to enjoy manning up? Your job is to assert God-given authority when it is delegated to you. First, over your own soul, of course, so get your own vineyard straight. A lot of, a lot of people shouldn't even be married yet, in my opinion. So they make terrible leaders, but that's another lesson for another day. So first, over your own soul, and second, in a godly way, over your families. Here's some food for thought on that second principle, on the topic of manning up. People have a hard enough time submitting to Jesus, who's perfect. Never mind a husband or father who's very much imperfect. Men must understand this and have godly compassion for others. You know, your wife, your kids, they're not just going to snap too because you had an epiphany last night. Oh my God, it's this earth-shattering epiphany. Why doesn't everybody in my, else in my family immediately understand and see what I see? And if they don't, I'm going to beat them into submission. Oh, that's not leadership. That's failure. 
So we have to keep balance statements, you understand? I don't want people to go, I'm manning up, baby, and do something stupid in their homes. People have a hard enough time submitting to Jesus who's perfect, never mind a husband or father who's very much imperfect. You know, it's funny, I heard someone else say um, recently, and this is an old, old pastor, he must be in his 80s now, He's like, every wedding I've ever done, he says, I'll look at the husband and the wife and I'll say, you know you're incompatible, right? You know, like, he's like, it's true. You're totally incompatible. And he goes off talking about the toothpaste and everything else, you know, it's pretty funny. But it's true. What do you really expect? Some fairy tale? When the, when the marriage vows are complete, all of a sudden everything's going to be com- completely synchronized and harmonized? <laughs> I mean, it is in my family. I don't know about the rest of them. <laughs> we must understand this and have godly compassion for others. Go to 1 Peter 3 5. 1 Peter 3 5. So while the Spirit's saying, man up, he's not saying, become some macho ass. You, right? You know what I'm saying? I almost put a picture up there of some like macho-looking dude, but I was like, it's going to make people stumble in so many ways. I just said, nope. And let them, let them be creative in their own way. 1 Peter 3, 5. For in this way in former times the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's a very interesting statement. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with what? Someone weaker. You're supposed to lead. The inference is that you're stronger, even. The inference is that you've been given and delegated responsibility for your family. The inference is that they're not always going to obey right away. There's going to be some resistance, possibly. So be it. When's the last time you didn't resist something from the Lord? Like this message, maybe. Some of you are like, I'm already resisting. So you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman. And show her honor. Honor her. As a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Again, up here on the board. People have a hard enough time submitting to Jesus, who's perfect. Never mind a husband or father who's very much imperfect. Men must understand this and have godly compassion for others. And for the sake of clarity and godliness, let me clarify something to you men right now. I'm going to give you a little list of what manning up is not. Manning up is not ordering your wife around like a puppy. You two are partners. There's, one's not better than the other. 
So you can get rid of that notion altogether. As I've taught you many, many times, the one with the responsibility, the one in authority, it just makes you a greater servant. I always draw the, the leadership pyramid upside down. And the more responsibility you have, the more that you serve others and hold and prop others up. You're supposed to honor your wife, treat her with dignity. You're, so, you're commanded to love. She's commanded to respect. You're commanded to love her. It's not love to kick a puppy around the house and wipe its nose and its poop all the time. Your wife's not a puppy. That's not manning up. That's cowardice. You're not supposed to be a bully in your home. Manning up is not pressing into your children with unbalanced force. A loving father, what? Disciplines his children. And you shouldn't hold back any force when necessary. But you shouldn't just be like a wild bear. Or, or, you know, don't poke the bear. He's in his recliner. He's been quiet for a little while. And everybody's tiptoeing around the house. If that's you, you're failing. Manning up is not expecting others to serve you like a king. I just told you. The more responsibility in any realm. All right, if you don't believe me, what did Jesus Christ do? He came to serve. Um, hello? He's our master, yet he came to serve. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? He laid down our life, his life for us. Could you serve in any greater way? Last time I checked, man, you're supposed to be laying down your lives for those in your home. Starting with those in your home. In case that list wasn't clear enough for you, how about another one? Manning up, the lady's like, yeah. I'm just kidding. Manning up is not punting your responsibilities to others and then blaming them when they cannot do what you are supposed to be doing. Stop blaming your wife or your kids. Maybe it's your responsibility. Maybe they're not supposed to be picking up the slack that you're leaving behind by being defunct. That's not manning up. Manning up is not sacrificing love or mercy in any way. If you're going to discipline anybody in the household, do it with love. And, and make sure that they understand that you're merciful. Because God won't show mercy on you if you're not merciful. So says Holy Scripture. And then, of course, manning up is not pointing fingers, especially when you are defunct. I'll say it till the day I die, I'm assuming, unless things change so drastically in this world. 90 plus percent of the problems in any organization, or I should, let me not say that. I'll say it this way generally, then I'll say it in the house. 90 plus percent of any problem in any organization usually is somehow related to management. Now, if we just narrow that in, I'll go 90 something percent of just about every problem in any family 
is because of the man. I got another God, a man of God, and if Bill was here, he'd be like, mm-hmm. His son said, amen. If you're going to listen to three people in the church, listen to us three. I'm not saying we're the only ones. These things count. Man up. Pointing fingers, especially when you are defunct, is not manning up. The easiest litmus test to, or of all of this, one is that the New Testament always comes back to the one that our Lord and Savior called the greatest of all commandments, love. If whatever you're doing in your home isn't completely enveloped in love, something's wrong, and there are going to be cracks that form. Even the most difficult conversations have to be completely wrapped in love. And God sees the heart as well. So you can only go so far as the Bible says, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes you're going to have really hard conversations and the other party is going to flip out. And you're going to be sitting there holding the bag saying, I only came to you out of love. I could have ignored you. I could have cut you off completely and said nothing and just said, get the hell away from me for good. But I didn't. I'm coming to you out of love and respect, beginning with my Lord, who says I should be doing these kinds of things. So everything we do should be enveloped and even motivated by love. And you know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13? It says love is not selfish. Love is not selfish. The lists I gave you about what manning up is not, most of those things, if you were to go in the affirmative, are from selfish people. People that are completely self-absorbed. People that love the idea of responsibility, the idea of being a husband or a father, but they're too darn selfish to actually execute responsibly as unto the Lord. They're too selfish. Everything they do is self-absorption. Everything they do is meant to satisfy their own desires. Some of you uh, young men hearing my voice right now need to think about that. Love is not selfish. I should say, period, some of you men hearing my voice right now need to think about that. For as we just read, the Word of God commands husbands to love their wives like Christ loves His own bride, the church. So you, my dear fellow men, are part of said bride of Christ. And you know what? You are far more disgusting and unfaithful and grotesque than any woman you could have married. Let me say that again in case you missed it. You men are far more disgusting, unfaithful, and grotesque than any woman you could have married, assuming any woman would even have you. And just, you know, between me and a lamppost, um, I'm, always, I'm always surprised, not always, but I'm often surprised at what most women will settle for. 
I almost can't believe it. Especially so-called Christian women. What are you settling for? Show me in the Bible where it says you're supposed to settle. I'm always surprised. So the point is, instead of pointing fingers at those in the church microcosm called your home, some of you need to step back and remember the love Christ has for you. And remember how much leeway He gives you every single day of your life as His bride. Imagine if He was as unrelenting and unforgiving as, and as disgusting as you with you. You probably wouldn't, you'd be bedridden. It's amazing. Excuse me. And then you need to model your own behavior in your homes after his. Excuse me. You need to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, how he treats faithfully and lovingly his bride. And that's your model. That's your model. You know what his bride looks like? <clears throat> She's a hoe. <laughs> a slang for prostitute. Adulterous. All she does is go out on him. He turns his back. <coughs> this girl's all dolled up. She's out with the, the world. Fornicating, adulterating, almost every chance he gets. And he says, you know what? Covenant with you. You're mine. And covenants always go till death do us part. And that's it. Till death do you part. A lot of men and women would do well to remember that. It says in Malachi, by the way, God hates divorce. Hates it. You need to model. Imagine if he didn't. Maybe Christ could go, <laughs> bye-bye. You've uh, hoed around one too many times, my friend. See you later. <clears throat> but he doesn't, does he? He says, no matter what, you're coming with me. I'm going to go prepare a place. No matter what, you're my bride. Even though you're ridiculous. I think it's the prophet Hosea who was told to marry a prostitute. And then he was going to go, she was going to leave him. The Lord said, marry this one. And he's like, you know, probably like, really? She's a prostitute, a known one. Marry her. And you know, oh, by the way, after you marry her, she's going to go out and you're going to have like a few kids, or I think it's three or something like that. A few kids with her, and some aren't even going to be yours. And you're going to know it, and you're still going to take her back. And you're going to record it all so that, the, so that my son's bride, so that my bride, Israel, can understand what it's like to be God. Do you get it? <clears throat> Man up. 
A man's starting point in marriage and family is with Jesus Christ's example to his church. A husband and father must seek to be both a lion and a lamb as he leads his household, not just one or the other like most men are, either unrelenting authoritarians or wimps. You're supposed to be both. You've got to strive to be both, lion and lamb. And you will be if you love. You won't be perfect, but if you love, as situations come up, you will be both. You will want to be both. In fact, the further a man strays from the example Christ has given him, the more pathetic he becomes and defunct he is towards his God-given responsibilities. Again, look at 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. Since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And then he says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. It's that last verse that's encouragement, not just as men, but to all of us. It is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And some of you might say immediately, yeah, but you don't know my spouse. You don't know my wife. She's a hag. Or she's out there doing all kinds of stuff inappropriate. Did I not just explain to you? Did Christ not leave us a perfect example? For the joy set before us, we ought to press on in the face of adversity no matter what. Is it fair to say, on average, our greatest challenges come from within our inner circles? Is that fair to say? I mean, who cares about who's outside the inner circle? The, the cuts run deepest when they're from the inside, right? Okay. The family unit is a petri dish 
of human dysfunction. A petri dish of human dysfunction. Things tend to multiply like bacteria, right? You add a little bit of bacteria, they add a little bit back to the third one. Next thing you know, it's like, you get a whole new strain. And it's really hard to kill. Last round of penicillin doesn't work anymore. You need more of this, right? You need more medicine. This heals the bone, so says the word. So the family unit is a petri dish of human dysfunction. And only the word of God, administered by the Spirit of Christ, our great physician, is able to keep said disease at bay. Whether you men like it or not is never the issue. Let me say that again. Whether you men like it or not is never the issue. This world is filled with defunct men that, if they heard this message, would dismiss it and me immediately and without remorse at that. They would just let it go. They'd other to each other that I am an idiot, just like Paul said they would. Go to Romans 1.22. They'd say, I'm an idiot for teaching this. That somehow I'm the one that's confused. Romans 1.22. But Paul says differently. Romans 1.22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's indicative of today's male. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of the flesh. Oh, excuse me. Where am I at? What? Cha- what uh, thank you. Therefore, God gave them, gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Those used to be some of my least favorite times out in the real world. Getting together with a bunch of punk idiots who oftentimes were higher on the food chain and industry than I was. But they were terrible individuals speaking um, less than appropriately about their wives 
And after they got that out of the way, even more or less appropriate about other women that weren't their wives. And the whole thing, they were like, <laughs> attaboy. And the military was even worse. But what are we to expect from the flesh of man? The point here is that you men ought never expect the so-called so-called men around you to concur with biblical principles. And you ought to very much expect that every worldly woman you meet will categorically reject the idea of you taking responsibility over your wife and family. Today's woman, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Tashuka on roids. Uh-uh. And if you think they're after equality, you're an idiot. If you think women, today's women, is after equality, you are dumb. They're after superiority. And you're so stupid. Most, in many ways, including in the educational system, they've already surpassed men. It starts very young now. But nobody's talking about that. Because they're going to go as far as they can go with it. It's not about equality. It's about superiority. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. What do you expect out of the flesh of women? <laughs> Seriously. Women are like, wait a minute, I thought this was about guys. It was going good for a while. All of a sudden you get on Tashuka. I'm just telling men, listen, you're up against a, a beast. Seriously. Women are tough cookies. We're supposed to, you know, especially, that's why you've got to be careful. Men and women, be careful, I'm telling you. Be very, 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 very careful about who you think you're going to marry. And stop fussing around in the process, you single people. If you're not going to marry them, you shouldn't even be touching them in certain ways. You shouldn't, definitely shouldn't even be holding hands in a romantic way. I hate to be that guy. Why? Because he's got hormones. And whether you believe it or not, I think the statistic is every seven seconds, Noah thinks about sex. <laughs> That's just a statistic, I'm telling you. Sean, what are you thinking? You're like every six seconds. I live with you. You're a curve breaker. <laughs> you, don't think, you don't think young ladies know that, guys? You don't think grown women, they just got better at it. Grown women are just more manipulative and better at controlling men. And it's really easy. Usually the easiest way is, is sexual. I've seen so many men, oh my God, it's so ridiculous. They, they literally might as well have a brass ring around their nose. And the woman just goes like this, come on, come on. They're always at Walmart. Or, you know, come on. You want me to carry the peanut butter? Carry the peanut butter. You, you, you stand up, if you man up, Biblically, you will be rejected at every turn. The world is trying to emasculate every man of God. So you need to fight the good fight, beginning with your homes. 
not a whole lot you can do out there unless you want to become some kind of political activist. Whatever. If that's something God wants you to do, whatever. But you at least have responsibility in your homes. And far be it for anyone to emasculate you in your own home. Now, if you let that happen in your own home, you're failing. And not only have you failed you, you've failed your wife, believe it or not. And you've definitely failed your kids. So, if you don't know where to start, may I submit the following. Some of you men need to apologize. Okay, stop for a second. Don't read. Don't look at the board. Look at me. Stop reading. I can see you. Some of you say, where do I start? And, and a, a message like this is convicting. And you're like, yeah, I, where do I start? Lord, where do I start? I'm, I'm convicted. I'm kind of a train wreck. I've been a train wreck for a long time. But you see, I've, I have this wife and I have these kids. And I realize now a lot of the crap that's going on in my house is, is my fault. Where do I start? Do I just throw in the towel? No! That's the whole point. You will never change yesterday. And you know what? Tomorrow isn't even real yet. Start right now. What can you do right now? Big old crack in your foundation. You walk up from the outside. You take a step off your recliner for a moment. You look at your own home from the outside looking in, the way the Lord might see it. You see a gaping crack in your foundation. What are you going to do? Hey, puppy dog, fill in the crack. That's usually what most men do. They point fingers at everybody else. You stretch even further to me, to my selfishness, than you already have. And sometimes I figuratively see women trying so hard. And if it wasn't for the women, the families would explode. And they're holding it together, but there's cracks and rips everywhere. And the husband's over there doing nothing out shopping for a younger model. What the hell? Seriously, what's going on here? If that's the case, you know what? Stop it. End of story. Stop it. So, okay, now read it with me. Don't read ahead, because I can see. <laughs> I really can't. I'm having a hard time breathing up here. Never mind watching you. Some of you men need to apologize. I know, stop. Just take a deep breath. That's right. Apologize. And ask for forgiveness from your wife and family. Say, I'm really sorry. I've been convicted. I'm really sorry. I know I'm not perfect, but I can see that I've done these things wrong, that I haven't served my family better. I'm sorry. Like, for real. You need to start anew with a renewed sense of responsibility, letting them know that while you're imperfect, you're at least willing to love them like Christ loves his bride. Can we start here? Again, this is part of manning up. Being man enough to say, I'm sorry I was wrong. I maybe didn't see it before. Maybe I've just been a I don't know. Is totalitarian the right word, Sean? Yeah. I've just been a pr an oppressive ass 
for so many years, I, I didn't look in the mirror. I forgot that I was supposed to love you, that I was supposed to serve you. I actually literally forgot. So for some of you, you need to start off with a big old apology, whatever that might look like. And don't buy them dinner and go, we good, good? Or buy your kid a new video game and say, good, good? No, that's you not being a man again. Sit down with them, talk to them, pray with them. But somebody's got to initiate filling in the cracks, right? And if you're the servant and you're the leader, who's the first one to say, hey, we've got a big old crack, let's fill this thing in? So you need to start anew with a renewed sense of responsibility, letting them know that while you're imperfect, you're at least willing to love them like Christ loves his bride. In other words, if there are cracks in your family foundation, then waste no time mending them and begin filling them in with love and humility first and foremost. There may be, and when I say love, there might be tough love in there, but they have to know that you love them. And that they have to be convinced that everything you're doing, even if they disagree with it, you are convinced, you are convicted that you're doing the right thing. That's where integrity comes in. Begin filling in the cracks with love and humility, first and foremost. And frankly, I know the probability of every man hearing my voice this morning actually doing this is probably slim. I realize that. Because some of you aren't there yet. Some of you have too much cowardice still. Maybe even lack a certain amount of faith yet to do these things. But I know that I've done my job here this whole week, starting with Thursday from behind this pulpit. And the rest is up to you. In the spirit of our Lord's conversation with Job, I say, man up. Whatever that means in your life, man up. If you don't know what it means, this is it. Read it openly and honestly. See what the Lord says about you. See what the Word of God has to say about you and your actions and your thoughts even and your motivations especially. And before you ladies... And even some of you sons and daughters go out there and jump all over the man who's been convicted. I submit the following to you. Don't be an opportunist. If your husband or father honestly professes his love for you and an apology of sorts is in order, do not, encourage, or do not discourage him. For it's not always easy for him to accept his own wrongdoings. He needs your support as a leader, so you too must respond with love and respect. It's not easy, ladies. We, we, we are bred by this company, or by this country, to fit into a certain road. To, it presses us, and it's hard. And we go out there, and we come back, and things are really different. We fight the fight and we're tired and we're weary and we realize there are cracks in our foundation. 
It's hard for us to say, oh, man. I failed my own family, the people I love the most. I failed. It's not an easy thing, isn't it? It's a little easier to go. <laughs> some of you have some tough conversations in front of you. Good ones, but tough. It's not always easy. And if your husband or your father comes to you and says, you know what? It may not be today. It may be at some point in the future. I don't know. Don't discourage him. It takes a bit of courage to, for the leader always to come up and say, I was wrong. You know, in life, the closest neighbors we have are in the bedrooms next to ours or in our homes or in the case of marriage even, right next to us in bed. Paul spoke about not aligning with the devil and being opportunistic. For that kind of heart misses out on the blessings of forgiveness and confirms a place for your enemies to exploit existing cracks in your family's foundation. Go to Ephesians 4.25 and we'll close. Ephesians 4.25. So I hope you see the balance statement here. Ladies, children... Ephesians 4.25 Don't be an opportunist. Don't say, I told you so. Oh, now I got my hooks into you, buddy. And you haunt them for the rest of their lives when they're trying to make good. Oh, I'll never forget that, mister. Oh, I'll never forget that, mom. I'll never forget that, dad. I'll never forgive any of you. That doesn't sound like Christ at all, does it? That sounds like widening a crack. Not filling it in. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And guess what? Do not give the devil an opportunity. You know, if something's been buried away, let's say, and your husband brings it up or your father brings it up and you really don't want to talk about it but he needs to talk about it and it's kind of scary and it's going to bring up all kinds of negative emotions and you just say, nope, 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 don't do that. That's very discouraging. That's giving the devil an opportunity. It's letting something fester in, in you and in your relationship with this person. Do not give the devil an opportunity if your husband or father has wronged you, forgive him. Both parties must be humble and willing in the healing process. So instead of pouncing on him while he's trying to respond to a message like this one, go ahead and do the right thing in the eyes of God. Take the opportunity to encourage him. That's what's right in the eyes of God. Amen? Let's right, bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to study your word this morning as a family. Thank you for always making things abundantly clear by grace through faith. Father, thank you for giving us an increasing 
our faith, not just at salvation, but as we continue to be sanctified as a result of your love. Father, we just pray for families out there. We pray for the men and women and even the children in those families that if there are indeed cracks in their foundation, that you begin to heal them, that you humble them, you convict them through your spirit and give them the, the word and bring to remembrance the appropriate scripture so that they know what the right things to do are moving forward. Can't change yesterday, Lord. We know this. And tomorrow's still not even a reality, but we can focus on today, Father, with your grace and your provision. Thank you for that opportunity. I just ask for blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father. And ease these things so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.